tonight. And uh, I wanted to give you just a little report on apps. I know some of you have been asking me about that Bible app. And if you are making use of it, I just encourage you. It's, a, it's an incredible thing. And I've kind of added a little twist to it in my personal life that I thought you might appreciate. I would just tell you about, you know, my, I take my daughter Grace to school every day. She's in middle school now. So we leave the house and we drive to school. We don't really have that far to go. But it's, you know how kids are, are just um, fascinated by technology. Kids and men, right? <laughs> that kind of how it is. But anyway, kids. So she's always wanting to look at the phone and goof around with the game or whatever. So I just thought, well, you know what? I'm going to use that curiosity. And I said, hey, you know, I have that Bible app on here. And she said, a Bible app? I said, yeah, let's take a look at that. So on the way to school every day, what we did is we picked a reading plan to do together and then she literally reads it to me every day. And she loves, you know, finding, the, finding where it is on here and, you know, pushing the buttons and navigating her way to the plan. And, you know, it's amazing how quick they get it. You know, <laughs> for some of us, I was showing some people, you know, I'm just helping people guide them through it. In fact, today I was at, um, actually, you guys all know Frida, right? Frida who helps in children's. Her son has a, has a trophy shop. And we were considering maybe using some of his trophies for the car show. And so I stopped by there today and I'd taken out my phone because it was, it was buzzing. I thought I was getting a phone call because I was just getting enough text that it was continuously buzzing. And he goes, oh, I have that phone. I got it today. I don't know how to work it. So we spent about 10 minutes. I was just showing him how to do it. And, and I was laughing inside. And I'm sure he won't hear this. So I was laughing inside about how Grace figured this out just Really, I, I, she, I was driving and just telling her where to poke, and she was getting it. And now every day she does that. She, gets, she navigates right to it. And in a way, I'm kind of smiling because I've tricked her into reading the Bible with me every day. And we just talk about it together. I love it. And something else I did because of her, she, my, my grace, she likes to, um, she's gotten this uh, thing about uh, languages. And she likes to learn little phrases in every different language. So we've learned how to say hello and goodbye and different things in Japanese and Chinese and thank you and, and of course, Spanish and French. And, and so it just dawned on me, you know, there's so many apps out there. There has to be a good translation app. And this one is so good. It's ridiculous good, actually. This one is called Touch Talk. It's free. If you have an Android phone, I'm sure the iPhone has a similar thing. But it's Touch Talk. So basically, all you do is pick on the top here, like English. And then whatever language you want. So here's German on the bottom. And I'm going to say something. What do, you, what do you want me to say in German? God bless. Okay. God bless. So give it a second here. And it says, God bless. <laughs> this isn't going to be that exciting for you, but here it is. God bless. God bless. With a German accent. Uh, but here's... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> so here's this. If, if, uh, if I were to say goodbye, see you tomorrow in Italian, for instance. Goodbye, see you tomorrow. And here's how it is in Italian. Arrivederci a domani. Anybody speak Italian here? So, of course, I had to try this out. And Pastor Nick and Jeremy and I were out at a Chinese restaurant the other day. So I, <laughs> I was saying, I, I know I kind of embarrassed them, but I, <laughs> I said... Um, I said, thank you. The food was amazing. And then I went up to the waitress and I said, can you just tell me what this means? And so I played it for her. And she looked at me and she, and she just started laughing and she pushed me away. And she said, how does your phone know to say that? You know, and I told her what, what it was. And she said, that's amazing. And so, so then I had it say this. And she said, that's Japanese. And anyway, what it said in Japanese is, hello, my name is Dennis. In Japanese. 
Um, so we need to be spiritual a little bit. So in Spanish, anybody tell me what this means? Jesus Cristo, la luz del mundo. Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Very good. And how about, how about this? First of all, what language is that? That was Italian. Same thing, basically, in Italian. But let's, let's play it again. But it, it's, a, it's just amazing and fun to play with. So, so tons of apps out there, obviously. Tons of things that you can use for uh, good things, helpful things, things that could waste your time, things that could uh, get your daughter to read the Bible when she doesn't realize it what she's doing. I mean, she knows she's reading the Bible and she likes to read the Bible. It's not like that. It's just that it's something that we're doing together. You know, and I don't know how long it will last and stay interesting to her. So, but, but it's just fun. And then another thing I noticed is uh, we had it on, um, in, on, on the message version. You know, Eugene Peterson's The Message, which is, which is a modern, um, it's, it's actually a modern interpretation. It's not a paraphrase, but it's almost too modern. And, and it's almost, some of it gets to be a little colloquial already. So some of it was even hard for her to understand. And I thought, well, that's funny. So we went back to the New Living Translation for her, which is really easy to understand because that's translated right about a seventh grade uh, reading level. So for her, she understands it all. And I actually start to prefer it. It just makes a lot of sense to read it like that. But as we're talking about apps, I came across an interesting, uh, just a little interesting bit of trivia. And I got a new word for you. And... <laughs> Patrick put this online the other day, my word for the day. So here's your word for today. Anybody say this? Theophobe in Greek. And uh, my son's name is Theodore, lover of God. So Theo is God. And what is phobe? Phobia, fear. So a theophobe is actually a good thing. It's a God-fearing person, right? You would think it's a good thing. But I want to re refer to you to these two scriptures in Acts. These are in the same chapter, Acts 13... Uh, 26 and then 16. But brothers, you sons of Abraham and also you God-fearing Gentiles, this message of salvation has been sent to us. So what Paul is doing here is he's addressing two groups of people in the same area. Notice who they are. Jews, sons of Abraham, and then God-fearing Gentiles. I've never noticed this phrase before. So then look at the next one. So Paul stood lifted his hand to quiet them and started speaking. Men of Israel, the Jews again, and you God-fearing Gentiles, listen to me. Never, ever thought about this before. And as I was studying, I found out something. A theophobe actually was somebody who just hovered around the Jewish synagogues. And they didn't quite convert to Judaism. They were there. They heard the word. But guess what they didn't do? They didn't apply it. It didn't change their life or the way they lived. Now, they got close. They were God-fearing, but they didn't actually convert and change everything. And there's a lot of speculation about why that was, but these theophobes were actually a group of people that were recognizable at the time of Paul, so much so that he addresses them specifically. Here's my question and challenge to you tonight as we're going to talk about more apps and more practical Christ following from the book of James. How many of us are theophobes? How many of us are theophobes? We're Christ and God-fearing, but not to the point of conversion. We hang around the church enough to be identified even as a group. Hey, that guy goes to church. 
Or how many people would even say maybe Crown Point is their church? But then their life doesn't necessarily display the Christian life that you would expect from someone who's actually converted into Christian. It's interesting. You know, so many times we as Christians, we, we get the, the misbelief or the, the, the idea just completely that if we know enough about Christianity, that that, that gets us in. If it was just about knowledge, and I know we've said this before, and James points it out, even the devils believe and tremble. That if it was just about knowledge, then the enemy of our souls would be in. Because he knows. He knows more than us, and he knows it more correctly than us. But so many times we mistake and think that it's just about knowledge. Did you know there's a lot of people who know a lot about Christianity? Maybe they've been to Bible college, priest, preacher, whatever. And Jesus, what did he say to some people like that? Get away from me. I never knew you. You call me Lord, Lord. I've always wondered, what does he mean by that? And I wonder if what he, what he might mean is, he might be talking to theophobes there. People who know a lot, fear God to a certain point, but not enough to actually convert and change their life. They haven't actually applied it to their life and let it mean a difference in them. It may mean something like, well, let me put it this way. Mental consent is not enough. Just saying, oh yeah, I agree with that. But you don't change anything. That's not enough. That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about here is a lifestyle change that makes your life different. A life that people recognize and see as something that they want to follow. It's not just about someone. Let me, I love apologetics. It has to be one of the most, uh, you know, if you have, a, I don't know, a hobby in Christianity. I love that. If you were to look at my bookcase, the majority of I would say a high percentage of my books have to do with that. But I guarantee you, you don't argue very many people into Christianity. That's not what happens. What happens is they see your life and they see that it works for you and they see that it's something good, good news, and they want to follow and they want to know what you have and they want to share it. You don't often get to get into a situation with someone and argue with them about it. Instead, you tell them about what it is and you say, hey, come join me. I heard this illustration recently. It's like nobody, nobody takes the pictures of their family and argues with you about how good looking they are. Or some trip and say, oh, my trip was way better. No, nobody does that. All they do is they start telling you about where they went and how exciting it was. And then guess what? You want to go there too. See the difference? And that's how it's supposed to be with our faith. It's not, to, it's not supposed to be something where we just, we just know a lot about it. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceives yourselves. Instead, do what it says. Our app tonight, as it comes out of the last part of the book of James, it's uh, talking about healing. This whole section is about healing. And as we talk about healing tonight, it comes to mind for me a lot of memories. And Pastor asks, how many of you have been, been healed through prayer? I'm just curious. I didn't, get to, I didn't turn around and see how many hands were raised, but let me see that. Who, who has not experienced physical healing? Anybody in the room? Never experienced physical? Okay, so we had like two th- a third raiser. Oh, anyway. You know, I, I remember as a kid, our family, um, and our family just believed in it. And when you're raised in that atmosphere as a child, that's what you do. You believe it. I, my, I was 10 years old when my younger sister was born. And my family, we had this habit, and maybe some of you do this, but at the time, it, just, it, it, it was our family tradition. It went on for ages in my family. I mean, years and years and years. Every Sunday, as we were getting ready, as those, you know, our kids and everything were getting dressed and ready, my dad was in the kitchen putting together a roast. And then he would put it in the oven, set the timer, 
then we would go to church, and then when we got home, it was done. Anybody else do that ever? Okay, that was our tradition for every Sunday forever. I mean, it's just how it was. So what would happen is we'd get home from church, and, you know, probably him, I don't know, my mom, somebody would take it out of the oven, or out of the, yeah, out of the oven and set it up on top of the stove. That's just how it was. Well, one Sunday we came home, and I don't remember exactly how old my sister was, but she was old enough to walk. And one day we were all changing our clothes. Man, it chokes me up to this day, and we hear this scream I'll never forget. And when you you hear that term, blood-curdling scream, I mean, a scream that went through the house that you know something horrible has happened. And what she had done was she went in there, she reached up on the stove, like little kids do, and she pulled that entire thing down onto her little body. And when we ran in there, she was squirming on her back, writhing in pain. And my mom and dad just ripped her clothes off. And her skin was so puffy and blistered all over her chest and her neck and her face. And we were just, we prayed. We laid our hands on her and we, no, one, no one said, hey, let's pray. They just started praying. And I remember as a 12-year-old kid watching that skin just go pink. And we praised God, and it was amazing. When I was 10, when, we were, when she was pregnant with, with, great, with Christine, <laughs> my, mom, my mom got sick. And she had, uh, we went to the doctor, and I was exposed to, to a scarlet fever. Somebody had had it. And we got there. The doctor said, you know, this is serious. It could cause deformities in your baby and all this. And this, this happened on a Wednesday. And what do you think we did? We went to church and asked them to pray. And then we went to the doctor the next day, and they said we didn't have it. After They tested, said we had it. Then they tested, we didn't. When you grow up in a culture like that, you believe in prayer. But does it always work? Now, as human beings, we want things to work all the time, don't we? We want formulas. We want magical incantation potions that if you mix it just the right way and say just the right words in the right way, maybe with the right tenor and tone, that you're guaranteed to result every time, right? And then when it doesn't happen, what do you do? Do you lose faith? Do you say, well, it didn't work that time or maybe I did something wrong? Do you, do you go through the checklist and say, well, maybe I didn't have enough faith. Maybe I had sin in my life. Maybe I didn't say it the right way. What do you do? Because as a Christian... If you've experienced God's miraculous healing, you know it's real. So the question remains, though, why then and then not other times? Because there's times when it doesn't work, right? And then there's a point in your life as a Christian where you want to believe, you want to be a person of faith, and you desperately want him to do this thing where we we go into this, and, and it's so normal. We start to bargain with him, don't we, sometimes? God, if you would only do this. Can you, God, you know how big of a, a witness this would be? These doctors would come to, they would get saved. All these people would get saved. Your glory, I give you all the glory. Who's, come on, someone else has done that right. Thank you. Maybe you go to the point of, God, I'll never do anything wrong again, I promise. Uh, I'll, I'll pray every day, I'll pray ten times a day. And you bargain and you plead. And sometimes it's serious. Because that same little sister that God healed when she was two... He didn't heal when she was 35 and fell off a horse and died. And we prayed for her, and she was laying in the hospital bed and hooked up the tubes. And, and I'm standing there and saying, God, I'm so glad you healed her too. And I'm, 
so glad you healed her even in the womb. I don't know. But now? How many have experienced that? Maybe a little crisis in your faith where you're thinking, God, why then and why not? And it's easy at those times to get frustrated and lose your faith and think and question him and say, God, what, what are you doing? And maybe if you have a very rational mind, you can tick off the reasons. Well, maybe this and maybe this. And God gives us all free will. And there's times where those free wills intersect. And if he always intervened, then you would never appreciate it. Maybe when it did happen and I mean, he, he allows this world to progress. And we obviously know that bad things happen to good people. I mean, look at Jesus himself. And he's praying in the Garden of Eden and he's in the Garden of Eden. He's playing in the Garden of Gethsemane and he says, God, if it was possible, let this pass from me. Think of the life that Paul, the apostle, led. Think of that life. I mean, did anybody live a more tormented life that we know of in the New Testament? Man, beaten, stoned, left for dead, starving, shipwrecked, bitten by snake. I mean, all of these things. Put in prison, killed, ultimately killed for his faith and then tormented through his life. Now, get this with some kind of thing that he couldn't get rid of. He called it a thorn in his flesh and said that he asked God to remove it. And God told him, my grace is sufficient for you. Man, Healing. When I was a youth pastor, when you're one of our students, Greg Cherry Holmes, he, was, uh, he made the swim team, and he, he, he was a great swimmer. It's going to be his senior year, and he was looking forward to setting all these records, and good swimmer, excited about that, hoping to get some scholarships to help him go to college. I mean, he, he eventually became a doctor, and uh, I don't know what he was doing. I don't remember that, but I remember he came to church on a Wednesday night with a cast on his arm. Devastated, devastated. And somebody said, why don't we pray that God heals him? And you know, as a pastor, I'm telling God, could you please do it? Could you please this time? Because I want these kids to see you heal him. And we prayed. And kids prayed. And we believed. And he went home. And that night, I got a call from his mom. What did you tell my kid? And she said, because he's telling me that you guys prayed and that he's healed, and we have to miss school and go to the doctor tomorrow to get his arm x-rayed. Now, his mom, Pam, it's, she, they've been youth pastors. It's not like she wasn't, she was just calling to say, just tell me the story. And I told her what happened. And I didn't say, hey, your arm is healed, go to the doctor. But we prayed, and that's what I told her. So they went to the doctor, and guess what happened? His arm was healed. They had an x-ray broken, X-ray not broken. Here's what I'm trying to say. God heals. Sometimes he doesn't, and I don't know why, but I know he does. And I see it a lot. And I know we had talked, you know, months ago about, about why prayers sometimes are healed and aren't. And obviously there's a lot of variables with, with free will. And there's, there's there, I mean, variables of sin, variables of faith, variables of, variables of natural consequences. and variable, I mean, there's tons of things going on there. And we know that God can overcome and interrupt all those natural consequences and natural sequences in He time he wants. But when he does, sometimes it is confusing. God, why now and why not then? When I was in college, I was, um, 
uh, I was at ASB president my senior year of the school, and one thing, it really didn't have anything to do with student government, but because we were in that position, we had the power to do this, we thought, you know, a lot of, this is a sad fact, but a lot of times in Bible college, because you go to chapel sometimes every day or three times a week, a lot of young people don't really plug into a church and worship and be part of a church service because they feel like, oh, I've been in church all day. And I've been in, I, yeah, I hear Bible teachers all day. And, and it's a sad thing, but that happens. So we've got this idea. What if we started a worship service on a Wednesday night, started at, at 10 o'clock at Naima's College, and just did a worship service for an hour? So we did. And it was growing. And it, was, it was cool. It was amazing. God would move and people would worship, and it was very cool. And then um, I, we had a lot of friends, and some of us, uh, one day we thought, it was a Saturday, and we said, hey, let's go play tennis. Maybe Sunday, Saturday, I don't remember. But one of the girls who went with us, she was on the volleyball team, and they were in the playoffs. So they had been given strict instructions not to play any other sports, just in case. But we said, how can you get hurt playing tennis? It's tennis. And it, it hadn't been 10 minutes, and she tripped on a line. I don't, know, I don't know how it happened, but she tripped. Her ankle swelled. I mean, it looked like it was huge, bigger than cantaloupe. And we thought, oh, my goodness. Got her back to school, called the trainer. Trainer came, and he was just livid. And, uh, you know, she had torn ligaments. It was going to be a long recovery. She was out. And uh, he had some choice things to say to us about being responsible and whatever. At some point in this, I said, man, wouldn't it be great if God healed you? So that was, that was like on a Saturday, Sunday, I don't remember. But by Monday, word started going around school that Dennis said, Leslie's going to get healed at prayer and praise Wednesday night. And when that came back to me, I thought, what? Who, I what? Who said that? And then I said, wait, what did they say I said? They said, you said that she was going to be healed at prayer and praise Wednesday night. And oh, my goodness. <laughs> I was praying and God I said, just God, God, um, you got to do this. <laughs> you got to do this. And part of me was part of me was thinking, uh, people think I said this. Guess what? I learned a very important thing. God said, do you think my reputation is on the line or yours? Yeah, ouch is right. Ouch is right in a big way. And I really had to do some soul searching. Like, was well, this my prayer and praise thing? Well, no, it's his. Is healing his thing or my thing? Is his. So instead of me saying, uh, no, 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 I didn't say that. I, I, no, I didn't say that. I just started saying, you know what? We're going to pray for her, and I expect God to do big things. But in my heart, I still had doubt, but I was just saying, you know what? It's not me. It's him. You know what else he told me that night or that during that experience? Um, I can handle my own reputation. I don't need you. I can handle my own reputation. I'm God. You're not. And I can handle it. Man, pressure started building. People are talking. I even had some people come up and say, do you think that's a little irresponsible? I mean, we're not name and claim it. We're all this stuff. And I just said, you know what? My closer friends who would challenge me on that, I just told them, I said, look, I didn't say that, but it's not my thing. It's God's thing. If he wants to heal her, that's awesome. And I'm going to pray and believe he will. And it wasn't like I was some man, man of faith and power. I was just trying to, I just gotten checked by God and I was trying to be faithful to that. And as the week went on, I really wasn't thinking about this, but on, the, on that volleyball team, they had recruited players who weren't necessarily Christians. 
but they were good volleyball players. Some of them were Catholic. Some of them were just not Christians. I'll just leave it at that. And when they heard about this, they wanted to come see because they were putting God on trial. And I remember when Leslie came up to me and she said, man, I'm so excited that God is going to do this because it's going to be a tremendous witness to all these girls on the team. They're all coming. They're all coming to prayer and praise. Now, we have been running, I don't know, somewhere over 100 kids coming. But that night, <laughs> we met in the cafeteria, which wasn't that, wasn't that big, <clears throat> well over 200 people. Then it started growing, 300. There was no room for anybody in there. And in the back of my mind, guess what was happening? <laughs> Say, God, okay, I know you got this, but you see this? Do you see this crowd? <laughs> Do you see the, what looks on their faces? Do you realize what? And he's like, remember? It's my reputation. I can deal with this. It's not on you. It's on me. So as we're, you know, it's funny too, the, those of us who led it, I mean, it was, it was just a couple of us who led it. We never even talked about how this would go. So then as I'm, we're leading worship, I'm thinking, wait a minute, what are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to have them come up? Are we, you know, because sometimes don't we kind of over-spiritualize these things? And I think it almost gets into, we mystify it to the point. It's almost, again, gets into superstition because we think if we, Pray a certain way or pray loud enough. Or, you know what I mean? And I got to thinking, well, what's the form? What's the right way to? God's like, I got this. Just relax. And then at one point in the service, you know, there kind of was a lull. And I felt like God just said, okay, it's time to pray. And so I walked over to, to pray for her. And uh, as I was watch, walking over there, man, you could just t- tell people, you know, there's a lot of people praying. A lot of people weren't looking because they were in the spirit. And then a lot of people were just watching. You know, you see girls standing there like this or whatever. And as I went down to pray for her ankle, you know, it was, it was big still like this. And I went down and I just, I barely got there. And here I was worried about what I was going to say. And I said, God, boom, just like that. No word. I didn't even say, I didn't even get to say, will you please? Nothing. And I felt like God say, see, it's not about you. It's not about what you say. It's about me and what I'm doing. Man, these girls started screaming, jumping, just, I mean, they, just, they didn't even stay in there. They just started jumping, screaming, jumping all around camp. Ah! It was incredible, incredible. That night, there were two other people healed miraculously that night. And, uh, you know, we didn't know anything about what they had need of or whatever. This one girl had had ovarian cysts, you know, and obviously it was very, you know, you're in college. It's kind of a sensitive issue or whatever. So all these girls around her praying. At first, they were going to tell us what we were praying for. It's a girl thing. I'm like, okay. So, um, they start praying for her. You know, and here's the other thing. Can we, can we demythologize this even more? Because I thought, well, maybe I need to go around and pray for these people. <laughs> it's still stupid. And as they start praying for her, they all start screaming, you know, and she's pushing on her abdomen. And they're gone, they're gone. And she was supposed to leave. I didn't even know this. She was supposed to leave school and not be able to finish the semester because she was going to have to go home and have surgery. I'd... Then this other kid, Tori, he had this kind of an emotional thing going on, and I didn't really understand it. Even as he was telling me it, he just kept, he was crying, and he was just saying, look at my teeth. And I'm looking in his mouth, and there's blood all over his mouth. And I'm like, what is wrong with your teeth? And he says, well, I have this nervous thing where at night, as I'm sleeping, I've got a mouth guard, but I clench my teeth so hard that my teeth loosen and bleed. And then through the day, they, they're supposed to tighten up, but it's just, he goes, I don't know what's wrong. And, and okay, we, we start praying. I mean, I, I didn't understand it. I didn't know what was going on. We just prayed. And God, would you please heal? Whatever, I, I don't even know how to articulate his need. 
And he puts his hand in his mouth and he starts screaming. There's no more blood. He couldn't wash his mouth. He didn't wash his mouth out, nothing. It's just gone. His teeth are solid. All I'm saying is, God does this. Man, you know, as you walk away from that experience and you try to process, you know, I learned a lot of very important things that I'm not, <laughs> it's his ego, not mine. It's his reputation, not mine. He does what he wants to do. There's not these formulas, but something else that he really showed me that night was there's times where he's doing work that I don't have to understand. And he can do things in people's hearts and minds that are not only are beyond my comprehension, beyond my control, beyond my understanding, and that's his. It's his thing to do. I know that some of you probably have been in here tonight and have struggled with God's maybe not responding to you and in, in your asking for him to heal. And even as you're hearing these stories, you're thinking, well, that's good, but it hasn't worked for me. I met with some missionaries yesterday. The Chownings are in Siberia and Russia. She was telling me story after story after story about people getting healed. She was saying that they, go to, they, they went to this tuberculosis ward that's run by Buddhist monks. And the Buddhist monks didn't want them in there. So they came in saying, she said, we weren't trying to fool them, but we just went in doing children's like skits and stuff. And then the nurses asked us to pray. So we prayed for the patients in there. She said, in one case, we saw a patient who had these tumors that literally fell off her skin. She was weird to stand there and thinking, that can't happen. That doesn't happen in the United States. So they left and then they came back like a month later. And she said that half the ward was gone and they felt so sad. And they said, oh, did they die? Where, where, where did they all go? She said, no, they didn't die. They're healed. They're gone because you prayed. Can you pray for the rest of these kids? And I asked myself, God, why is it that it seems like a lot of times these kind of things happen overseas? Or you hear about stories, maybe even in scripture. And a lot of times we don't see these in 20th century America. Well, what is that about? And I wonder sometimes if it's because we, we rely on other things here to take care of us. And our first thought isn't necessarily going to God. And we have other avenues to help us. And we don't, we don't rely on his, him as much. We don't reach out to him and pray as much. And we don't, we don't, it's almost like we don't need him the same. Let's take a look at these portions of scripture from our healing app in the book of James. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. I've read that verse countless, countless times. And I've skipped right over it to the verse about prayer for sick. What I never noticed about this is this is in the NIV. Look at it in the, the New Living Translation. Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. That adds just a little bit different flavor to it. But then look at it also in the Amplified Bible. Is anyone among you afflicted? And the amplification there is ill-treated, suffering evil. He should pray. I don't know about you, but that, I qualify for that in some cases. <clears throat> Maybe some of you. Maybe my friend Tori from ages ago, maybe this was more when he was suffering. I don't know. But I know this, that when God is saying that when you are suffering these things, then you should pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. I don't want to take the time to do this only because I want to take more time to pray. What I was going to do is, is explain to you that there are times when you're happy and you need to share it with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And we don't do that enough. We don't tell the stories of what he's done enough. 
And when we do tell those stories, that builds faith in our brothers and sisters. And that lets them come to his throne with more confidence because they know what he did for you. And we don't do it enough. Here we go to the verse everybody knows. If anyone among you sick, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the person sick, uh, well, sick person well, and the Lord will raise them up. I have two, uh, two little bottles of oil right here. One of them even is from Israel. But I want to explain that this is a symbol. We, we don't anoint even like they did in Bible times, thank goodness, and not like they did even in Old Testament times when the oil's dripping down the beard. Because most of you don't even have beards. Well, <laughs> okay. It's a symbol, symbol of the Holy Spirit throughout all of Scripture. When it talks about elders, you know, in our church, we have deacons, and we talked to some of them about praying, and then Pastor was mentioning that, that he'd also like um, Mark Cunningham to help us pray in a few minutes. But I would like to also add that probably a lot of you would qualify for what this scripture is talking about when it says elders. It's talking about spiritual leadership. And when we pray in a few minutes, what I'd like to do is have, have the pastors that are here and, the, and the, the deacons kind of stand up front, those of you who would like prayer to come up, and then I would like the rest of you to come up behind and lay hands and pray. Because I really don't think that, that it's just the pastors who need to be praying. Although it does say to come and, and tell the elders and have them come and pray for you. I don't want you to get the idea that the only time you can get healed is here at church. In fact, I've been healed more often out of church than in church. I love this part. Maybe this doesn't quali- none of you qualify for this, but I love this. I don't understand it, but I love it. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. And maybe the, I was just thinking, maybe this, like when, when uh, they're talking about, when Paul is talking about communion, this would be a great time for you to confess your sin. I'm not sure. But when we pray, this is going to happen. And then he goes on to say, confess to one another, therefore, your faults. And this is out of the Amplified Version again. Your slips, your false steps, your offenses, your sins, and pray also for one another that you may be healed and restored to a spiritual tone of mind and heart. And again, we don't have time, but, and I probably wouldn't have done this because you wouldn't have been honest with each other, but I mean, I don't know how many of you would really have felt comfortable to confess your sin to each other tonight. The, the, the message is clear, though. What James is saying is get rid of the sin. Get rid of anything that would come between you and God and interrupt what he wants to do in your heart. Anything that is interrupting that relationship that you have with him. One of my favorite scriptures, the earnest Again, out of the Amplified Version, the earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. Now, we all know the King James Version. What does it say? Yes, availeth much. Availeth much is beautiful phraseology, but it just lacks the power, doesn't it? Of course, they didn't have dynamite back then. And when you read this in the Greek and it's dunamis talking about power, explosive power like dynamite, availeth doesn't seem to work for me. Like if you were to hand me a firecracker and say, oh, this will avail much. That's not going to do it. But what this is saying is the power that's available to you is dynamic power. The power that, think about this for a minute. The power that raised Christ from the dead resides in you. That is amazing power. 
That is power beyond comprehension, beyond our attaining. Let's look. And then he goes into, and he gives an example here in two verses. He talks about how Elijah was human, with a human nature just like us, yet his prayer was powerful. He prayed for no rain, three and a half years, no rain, and then he prayed again, and it rained. My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. Now, this is tagged on to the end of the book of James. And um, I just wanted to put this in here. Because, I mean, it doesn't necessarily have much to do with healing, but it also brings up, again, sins. So I'd like to do something very quickly before we go on with the rest of this tonight. I just want us to bow our heads and just ask God to forgive us. Enlighten, illuminate to us anything that needs to be worked out of our life, any attitude, any actions, uh, any, any sin that we've, we've flirted with. Let's pray. God, I just ask that you would, you would forgive us tonight for whatever it is that's, that's interrupting the relationship that we should be having with you, whatever it is that's come between you and us. God, I pray that you would take that thing and remove it from us. Father, I pray you give us the strength to withstand temptation just as your disciples, you told your disciples to pray. Protect us from temptation, Father. Whatever that is, whatever, whatever way it comes, if it's visual or in the way of people or desires within us, as James talked about, that draws us to those things, God, I just pray that you remove those from us in the name of Jesus. Amen. I love this quote. Prayer can do whatever God can do. Think about that. Prayer can do whatever God can do. That's how you activate his action. You ask him. His resources are available to you 20 times in the New Testament, it says, to ask. So my next question is, do you pray? When you are hurting, when you are troubled, whether it's emotional, whether it's a frustration, do you go to him? Or do you go to someone else or maybe to some popular, like Dr. Oz or some, something like that? What do you do? Dr. Phil, I don't know. What do you do? What's your first response? Do you pray? When you're hurting physically, is that the first thing you think of? God, I need you right now. I need you to come and I need you to right this wrong. Is that what you do? Do you believe? I know we talked about doubts. And as human beings, we have a good reason, good reasons to doubt. As humans, that's just how it is. We want things to work the same way every time. And God did not set up the world that way. You know, if it, if it did, I want you to think about this for a minute. If it did work that way, it would not be faith. Do you get that? It would not be faith. It just would be. It's not like you would have to believe and trust in him because it would just be. You wouldn't even, need, you wouldn't even think about it. You just say, God, thank you. That's not how it works. He's desiring of a relationship with you. He's not our genie. He's not our little lamp that we rub. Are you fervent in your prayer? How long, how consistent are we in prayer? Are you relentless in that? Listen. Relentless means you don't stop. You keep going at it. You, you don't let it go. There's that, have you seen that push, that little bracelet people had, pray until something happens? Don't give up on that prayer. So this is what I would like to do. If, if we could have those people I asked to come as, as elders, Come up and get ready to pray. And then even as they're coming, if you are in need of prayer, I'd just like you to come up for prayer.
And those of you who want to pray for them, come up behind them.